Jason Cockcroft was born in New Zealand and raised in West Yorkshire. He graduated from Falmouth School of Art and has an illustrious career in children's book illustration. He was awarded the inaugural Blue Peter Book Award in 2000 for Pilgrim's Progress. Among his work are book jackets for the UK editions of Harry Potter. We Were Wolves is Jason's first published novella. And I began by asking Jason to tell us what the story is about. I'd say it's about uh, the love between a father and a son. So I'm going straight to the theme rather than uh, the plot. The plot is about a boy who lives in an abandoned caravan in the woods in Yorkshire with his father for trying to live off the land. Um, The father uh, suffers from mental health issues and the boy is trying to look after him whilst also navigating the landscape of his own young life. But the outside world encroaches in upon them um, in the form of local gangsters and it culminates in a violent um, confrontation uh, in the woods. I'm glad that you didn't start with plot because actually one of the points that I've made here is that although there is a big plot point as it were that's not really what the story is about. It is about character. I suppose the, the character that in many ways looms largest is the father John but equally the boy, the narrator. So those two characters yeah, very strong in this. John is the strongest character and mm. he, he threatens to overwhelm the story sometimes, uh, have to drag it back to the boy. But it's seen through the boy's eyes. It's a first-person narrative. We'll talk a little bit about the characters in a moment, but one of the ways in which you stop John from overwhelming the story, as it were, is that... There are lots of scenes with the boy on his own and therefore we can see him in the company of other people, in the company of his mother, in the company of a young friend he meets, Sophie, and therefore we get a a good rounded picture of him rather than him being always overshadowed by this overbearing presence. Yeah, that's right. The, The first image that came to mind when I began to write it was a boy alone, in the woods sitting by a campfire mm-hmm. and I knew he'd been uh, left by his father. He was on his own and he was excited to be on his own. He was sad not to have his father there, but there was also the idea of freedom that he um, was enjoying um, by being on his own. And he's sitting there in the woods and a dog appears and this dog, it symbolizes both those things, it symbolises freedom, but it also symbolises danger. And he has to make a choice as to whether to adopt that dog, um, practically in the book, but also as a symbol, as a as a theme, um, whether he can survive on his own or whether he needs he needs to embrace something else to replace his, his father. Mm-hmm. I wonder whether this would be a good point, actually, to get a sense of the story. And I invite you to read uh, the beginning to us. Yeah. It begins with an epigraph by uh, John Steinbeck. So I'll just read that. There is no other story. A man, after he has brushed off the dust and chips of life, will have left only the hard, clean questions. Was it good or was it evil? And then we go to the boy's voice. So what do you want to know? I suppose you're expecting to hear about how I killed my dad and got away with it and how when they found me I was nearly half dead myself on account that you tried to do away with me. Except that's not what happened, of course. Not that anyone cares now. 
because lies have faster legs than the truth, like Mam says. So all I can do is tell it like it happened and as I saw it, because it's our story, me and John. And now he's gone for good. So who else will tell the tale, if not me? The mm. so truth and lies and this wonderful dedication from John Steinbeck. I love mm. East of Eden. Yeah, it's, it's a difficult book, <laughs> East of mm. Eden. But um, John Steinbeck means means a lot to me, mainly on a very personal terms, because, um, I mean, the book is very personal. We Were Wolves is very personal. It's not autobiographical, but the themes of, you know, love between father and a son. And as suggested in that opening passage, the loss of a father, that's very personal to me. My father died 10 years ago and the book is dedicated to him. And um, when he was dying, when he was in, in hospital, I was going through a hard time myself. My marriage had broken down recently. And he came across, my father came across a letter that uh, John Steinbeck had written to his son, uh, where Steinbeck tried to define to his young son the nature of love. And um, it was very personal. It was, um, it was very unusual for him to, to show me anything like that. And he'd cut it out um, of the newspaper. And it was him trying to tell me something that possibly he didn't have the vocabulary to, to say. So, yeah, if I could uh, just find that, I'd um, read that out to you, if that's okay. Mm, please. The object of love is the best and most beautiful. Try to live up to it. And it ends with, and don't worry about losing it. If it is right, it happens. The main thing is not to hurry. Nothing good gets away. And that last line, nothing good gets away, is, is what my father was trying to tell me. So, yeah, John Steinbeck, I mean, I love him as a writer, but there's a, there's a very personal... Um, reason to put a quote by him in, in the book as well. It's not always easy to read. And indeed, I think he had a complicated relationship himself, mm. family relationship. <laughs> he so it's did, yeah. <laughs> just proving how widespread, you know, this is just life, isn't it, really? Um, let's stick for a moment with John, the father. Mm. He's suffering from PTSD. He's been in the war in Iraq. And yeah, in Afghanistan, Afghanistan, and he's seen terrible things there. But he's full of contradictions. And one of them is that he demonstrates a lot of love for the natural world. Yeah. And when you care that much about nature, you can't be a completely yeah. bad person and care so intensely about the world. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's part of the idea behind the book. And um, part of the inspiration is the idea of what it is to be good, how, how to be good. Um, everybody has their own idea of living an ethical life or a moral life. And certainly a character like John, who has seen war and has seen violence and is repulsed by it. But clearly he would have done some things that would be seen as violent, um, certainly had violent thoughts. And he's got a lot of anger inside him. PTSD is incredibly complicated. You know, very difficult um, subject to to write about, mm. and I didn't. I wanted to show it respect and show the character respect without going too much into detail because I, I did want it to be um, more of a universal story and um, to be easily to to approach and to read, um, especially for um, the age group that I'm writing for. Mm. But yeah, one of my favourite 
novels. Probably the first novel that I fell in love with was um, The Idiot by Dostoevsky, which is about how to be good. And inevitably, attempts to do that lead to tragedy for other people. And uh, that's the, again, that's contradiction in our motivations. And there's no one that John loves more than his son. And yet he sometimes is helpless to protect his son because of the the complicated relationship he has with the world. And he's not he's never happier than just striding through the wood with nature. But the thing about nature is there are no models in nature, you know, it's it, it, there is violence in nature. Um there's predators and that's where uh, we wolves, you know, takes its title from really. Not the idea that wolves are predators, but that we have to choose whether we're a, a pack animal or a, a loner. And um, in a way, John can't live within a family, can't live within a pack. And uh, he is a very contradictory, contradictory man. And the boy, during the progress of the book, comes to realise that he knows he's, he's vulnerable. He knows even though he's a strong person, he also knows that he needs the boy desperately and that's why the boy has done something which is <clears throat> seems quite outlandish it's, he's gone to live with his father in a caravan in the woods and he's trying to protect his father not just from himself but from the dangers out in the world I'd like to talk a little bit about the mother too yeah. who I loved and you know she seemed very wise and measured and mm. kind um in her dealings with her son she doesn't appear very much but she is a presence uh, throughout uh, one of the things that she says is that we don't change over time we just get more like ourselves perhaps intimating that yes he's had these difficult situations but maybe it's just exaggerated some of the character traits that were there all the time yeah I think one of the things that we find difficult as as children of parents is um we don't really know our parents. You only know what they show you and what they present. And you can never know them before they were your parents, before they adopted that role. And so, you know, I'm trying to show that in the book, the boy's naive view of his parents' relationship, but he's learning that there was a life before him. He's learning that his mother had enormous patience and love uh, for his father, but it ran out. And it ran out for a very good reason, because she just couldn't live with the hope anymore that he would change or he would come back to her. And I hope that comes across in the book. It's, it would be very easy to dismiss his his mother, um, because she has choices to make. And in the end, she allows the boy to live with his father in the woods, which is, a, is an unwise and dangerous thing to do. But um, she does it because she knows she can't she can't fight it. And so she's she's a complicated character and she's probably the strongest character in the book. That's really interesting because she is quite stoic. She's relatively non-judgmental, but she does put him in danger. And mm. and, and so therefore you think, oh my goodness, yeah, so, you know, exactly. it's she's equally complicated. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All yeah, none of the characters are wholly good or wholly bad. The boy finds a relationship that draws him back into the the real world, if you want to call it that, away from the kind of mythology and the isolation that the father tries to protect himself with. 
And um, that's a, a girl called Sophie, who is um, staying in a local field. She's camping with her, her family and the boy meets her. There's the risk of making her just a, a very simple, saintly character who is wise and rational and compassionate mm. and somehow saves the boy from himself. And so I needed to make her more of a rounded character. Mm. And it's, there's, a, there's a romance there. There's a, but I didn't want it to be just an, a, a normal romance either. I wanted it to be a meeting of two minds and two characters mm. who show themselves and allow themselves to be seen. And it's probably the first time he really does allow himself to be seen by someone outside his family. And it, it also allows him to see that how he's living with his father isn't normal and it's not wise and it's not, it's not safe. Let's talk a little bit about uh, the mythology um, in the book, because this isn't just about social realism, as it mm. were. There's this kind of deeper, um, ancient feel uh, to this story yeah. that comes through in a number of ways. One is that the father is a reader and um, he enjoys the poetry of William Blake, the Songs of Innocence and Experience. And he has um, an image, a postcard, I think, an image of, um, one of Blake's yeah. paintings, The Ghost of the Flea. It's a monster, it's a demon. It's, it could be from a, an old universal horror film from the 30s. It's an amazing picture, image. Mm. And I just thought that was a, a way into John's way of thinking. I wanted him to have a different facets to his personality, including loving poetry and language and this love of nature that he's got. Mm. And it's not just a love of nature, it's a it's a desire in him and maybe a desperation to go back in time to a time when there were these noble, extraordinary creatures, um, stags that were almost prehistoric and bears and, and wolves. And he feels there's an escape there. There's an escape in his mind that he goes to uh, when he, he can't deal with the world. Mm-hmm. And um, it's so vivid that the boy begins to see these creatures and he hears these creatures coming out of the ground. And when he first sees a dog that appears to him at the beginning of a book, he's wondering if that is a, a real animal or if it's something that he's dreamed up. Um, I'd like to ask you a little bit about the, the structure of the story. It's a three part, like a three act play, mm. if you like. So we have the sort of boy on his own in the forest. In the, yeah. in the woods and his father's in prison. We have the second section where the father comes home. And yeah. the third section, which is how, you know, it, it plays out to its end. And I was really interested also within that in how you structured it chronologically, because it's not chronological exactly, yeah. not entirely. For instance, there's a scene with the mother when he goes back to his mother's house, mm. and that's a recollection of that yeah. happening rather than in chronological sequence. So there must have been a deliberate intention to do yeah. it in that way. Yeah, uh, when I first started writing, I always hated first-person narratives <laughs> because they seemed easy. It felt like a trick where you're just immediately drawn in by someone's voice. You're having a conversation. That's what storytelling is. And I thought it was too easy and it was yeah, it was somehow more sophisticated to have third person and have or multiple viewpoints but there's a reason why it draws you in 
so quickly. And that's because it works. It's an act of compassion and it's an act of curiosity. And that's, that's what we do in everyday life. We meet somebody, we talk to them, we want to know their story. And so when you're going to use that as a device, um, you might as well use the whole tools that it gives you at your, um, your disposal. And so you don't need to have a linear narrative. Um, we don't think like that. We don't live like that. And I wanted to reflect that, especially in um, the boy's consciousness, because I, yeah, I remember what it's like to be <laughs> a boy. And nothing seems linear. Everything's happening at once. You're experiencing something new every day. You're meeting new people every day. You're feeling new feelings every day, and you're not quite sure what to do with those. So, yeah, I didn't want it to be wholly linear. Um, I wanted you to fall into his thinking, his, um, his imagination, because at some point you're going to have to believe he's seeing what he's seeing. We haven't talked about the illustration. You're a writer <laughs> and an illustrator. And yeah. you referenced the significance of Charles Keeping yeah. your work. Tell us what Charles Keeping means to you. Well, it's strange because when I first think about him, I think of his uh, colour work. And um, oh. this is a black and white uh, book that I've uh, produced. Um, but yeah, his colour's just extraordinary. It's so bold and there's something violent um, about some of his line work and his and the kind of brashness of the, the brush strokes. And yeah, the, the black and white work is um, beautiful. When I was a teenager, I was working in black and white um, using dip pens and what we called um, repeatograss technical pens. And it took me a long time to get into colour work and to uh, use watercolour and to use acrylics. And when I did, um, I loved it, but I kind of regretted going into colour work because I loved black and white. I loved the textures that you could find with just cross-hatching or, or creating patterns and textures with potato prints or fingerprints or putting ink on cloth or, or paper. I just loved the density that you could get. And I was trying to go back to the kind of work that I did with this book, which has little references to other illustrators. And it was... It's kind of a playful approach that I took, which I don't usually take to, to books. Usually, obviously, um, a publisher, designer knows exactly the style that they want and the style that they know me for. And I, I produce what, you know, they want. Um, but with this, I just, I just played. And I think it's a, probably one of the few books that I'm genuinely proud of. That's brilliant. Um, I wanted to ask you about some specific illustrations yeah. if I can um there's one very arresting image which is the father and son it's the embrace embracing yeah because that's very textured and yeah but also this contrast between the white and the black the father's in dark tones and the son's in light mm. tones and the contrast of one against it hands in particular and wonder if you could just tell us a little bit about that image and how it came to be I did that fairly late uh, in the process. I think I did about three or four samples. I did samples of the the wolves, the scene of the just the caravan in the woods, the boy washing in the stream, and I showed those um, to the designer, and and we slotted them into the to the layout 
Um, but then we decided which pages, which scenes needed to be illustrated. And I went ahead and did that. And I think I'd found my confidence. It, it, you know, I, I drew it very quickly. I wanted to use a negative space in it and I over-render <laughs> things usually. And detail is all well and good, but sometimes you need to be a bit bolder. And uh, that's what I found in, in this book that um there are lots of layers and details there um especially in the the father's figure which hopefully demonstrates what a complex um, mm. character he is i wanted him almost to have the the texture of the earth you know very organic feel to him whereas the boy isn't quite part of that world and he stands out and and he's like that on the cover as well there's basically a, a white silhouette on the cover and so in that illustration i started off um with the sketches pencil sketches and then worked them up in ink and i worked up the boy in quite a lot of detail but then when you scan everything in and start working photoshop and dropping on um textures and patterns and splashing on ink layers i needed the boy to stand out more because that's where the emotion is in that illustration and there's a desperation in the boy. And um, hopefully you can see that because of the negative space there. It's almost as though there's a there's a hole there and the boy is uh, trying to fill it somehow. I think also the negative space um, works very well. There's another image with the boy with his knife. The knife is in the negative mm. space there and your eyes really drawn to that. Yeah. Also some other images in the book. We don't have time to talk about them all, but there are so many that I'd love to talk about. Um, the double page spread that starts part three, which is just a field with a barbed wire mm. fence, I think. And yeah. there was another image uh, before that, which is the stump of a tree with barbed wire wrapped around yeah. it and the and the fruits, the kind of decaying yeah. fruit. Reminded me very much of the imagery of the First World War. Yeah. I don't know if there, there was consciously any of that in there when you were doing it or, or not. Probably not, but, I mean, these things do bleed into to what you do. And um, and I think Charles Keeping did, um, I think he illustrated or quite on the Western Front, I think. Mm. So it could be little things like that. But, yeah, I wanted, even though John didn't serve in a war that long ago, I wanted there to be that, that feeling of... Yeah, the contrast between the, the man-made world and nature. So I wanted there to be something just ruining the kind of idyllic look of, uh, of the natural world. And if that's uh, rotting pears on a tree or, or barbed wire, that's what I wanted that. He has this dream that if he commits this crime and he, earn, he earns a little bit of money, he'll be able to move to Scotland and buy croft and be happy but as the boy becomes begins to realize slowly throughout the book he probably will never be happy because you know clearly his problems are internal and inside and they can't be solved by moving or escaping and so i wanted that again to be represented somehow um, in the illustrations that there's always a little bit of grit in uh, in the beauty and in the nature that surrounds them one of the things that's um referenced in there is this idea of picture book birds and picture mm. book butterflies 
Um, I'm not saying that that's sort of denigrating, more stylized mm. drawing, but there's something in here which is about learning to name the natural world and to recognize it and not just generalize yeah. it. And there's a beautiful illustration with your dedication, which I think is mm. an art hatch, isn't it? Yeah. Which you then yeah. refer, it, it's referred to at the end of the book. <laughs> the boy can now name and understand the difference between a nuthatch and a woodpecker. So I'm guessing uh, that knowing the natural world, being able to name and to see and to observe closely is really important to you. It should be. Uh, I, wish, <laughs> I wish I knew more. Yeah, I did, did some books with uh, Chris Packham and every time I'm out in nature, I just wish he was with me to point things out to me. I was surprised actually when I, I did do these three picture books with Chris. I was quite nervous because I thought he'd say, oh, you know, these meerkats don't look a bit like meerkats and these turtles are just completely the wrong turtles. But he was, um, he was very kind and generous. And uh, yeah, he was um, surprisingly, um, everything seemed to satisfy him. I think um, that's the Amazing Babies, Amazing yeah, Journeys series. Yeah, that's it? correct. Yeah. Mm. But yeah, John has a disparaging view of picture books and things that are too pretty and prettified. Yeah, nature's beautiful, but it's also harsh and it can also be ugly. So yeah, I think that's what that reference was there. Mm. It doesn't necessarily reflect <laughs> the views of the, the author and illustrator. I will just say that uh, you write beautifully about the natural world as well. I, there are many, many places that I could go to in the book to get these wonderful word images mm. but uh, there's one here where they set out uh, I think it's when they've just set out on that walking trek uh, that they do and the air was blue and pretty we both loved mornings like these when the sky was still clap cold and stiff upturned soil of the fields appeared to sparkle and you know that sensory sound of you know you clap on a cold day and everything rings mm. Yeah. And the soil that you see in the sunlight, in that early morning sunlight, just a couple of lines. And, you know, the writing throughout has these wonderful word images. Thank which you. I want you to read it much better for. than me, by the way. So thank you. <laughs> Sadly, we've come to the end of our time for chatting today, uh, Jason. It's been such a pleasure talking to you about this great book, uh, When We Were Wolves. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for your generosity and your kind words. Thank you. In the Reading Corner is presented by Nikki Gamble and produced by Alison Hughes. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please do leave a review for us. To find out about other projects, including an audience with events and the Exploring Children's Literature Summer School, visit www.exploringchildrensliterature.uk. Join us again soon in the Reading Corner on your favourite podcast platform.